Namaste, welcome everyone to another uh, edition of my conversations with uh, Shankar Bharadwaj Thandavali, uh, taking forward the uh, dialogues between us, the Hindu dialogues. My conversation today is on the Varna system, the much maligned and debated and hated Varna system, the entire anti-Brahmanical narrative that spreads across our country, uh, spread by Marxist historian and Dravidianists and all such categories of people. So we're going to talk and explore um, a lot more about Varna. Okay, good Shankar. So I'll start with, uh, you know, fresh in my mind is just a conversation, uh, a lecture by Smita Mukherjee. She's, she and uh, Dr. Rinku Vadera are rewriting history books and we are uh, from Saryu Trust, we have we are trying to seed fund an organization called um, a, a Council for Historical Research, where we are re rewriting history books. We've done class sixth and seventh, and Smita leads this project, and uh, we are hoping to release this on fifteenth August um, as a as a matter of national shame that we still have not rewritten our our history books from our perspectives. Right, we're still telling the story of the invader. So, uh, you know, on the question of Varna and caste, Smita took the stand yesterday that all uh, evolved uh, civilizations and societies actually have classification of society based on workforce. She gave very interestingly the example of uh, bureaucrats in our own country in more modern times, class one to class four officers. And she asked a question back to the audience, what do you think that is? Isn't that a classification of society based on competence of people, people who can do higher order things and lower order things? Just in your own government, you, you do the same thing. Why would societies not do this? Why are we apologetic about this at all? So I found that uh, very interesting. And in fact, she also brought up that, uh, you know, the... Uh, this untouchability, for example, she took that on and say, said that until about early 20th century, the British themselves had something called uh, a class of people in the British society called uh, night soil lifters or something like that, she mentioned. And it was only just a few decades ago that this was abolished. Um, but uh, so she says they all do this. So why only keep pointing things to uh, Hindus. So we'll start with that uh, and start with your views on, on this. Sure, yeah, this probably is a very big topic, so we might end up doing multiple. As a topic, I think it will be, uh, the basic concept is one thing we'll need to see. As I keep saying, the four levels, the worldview, how we look at nature of human, therefore, how we look at the nature of society. Hence, the social institutions, how, what our doctrine is. And then we have to look at the social institutions. You call it the jati or the vritti or the family or the varna. And then we will have to look at how it operated in uh, as a living reality at different times. Today, how it operates. The bigger factor most people ignore while evaluating all this is, what is the relation between the society and the state at different points of time? What role the state plays, the government plays 
the head of the state plays in uh, the social dynamics and then uh, as we uh, have to explain look into the past we will also have to look into two classes of text one is the instructive or the prescriptive text texts like the dharma shastras where we understand the nature of the concept and then we have the itihasa purana or more recent examples from the past where uh, we can understand how the principle operates in reality understanding smriti may not be sufficient we'll need to go into itihasa to understand how that principle actually applied in life uh, the concept of varnat becomes very difficult to understand from the british times because in the british times there was no hindu state it was a british state that was operating so it has completely supplanted the entire uh, you know hindu social institutional view of the state the state doesn't see society in terms of hindu social institutions anymore it started viewing the hindu society from a british view point which is essentially an abraham christian view the christian view of hindu society is what we see in play in the british times so we will have to go a little farther into the past to understand how things played out so i think people have tried this from british we go back into the maratha period but maratha period also was very instrumental in actually feudalizing society a lot of institutions were in a collapse because they were also in a crisis mode they were expanding in a political sense but socially we were also declining very rapidly in the maratha times okay. then to understand further we we'll need to go further back into say vijayanagara period when it, the social dynamics were more operative as a true hindu empire where the different classes of people could be seen what they were doing what was their collective output what did the kshatriyas contribute what did the uh, brahmanas contribute what did the vaishyas contribute and what did the shudras contribute what was their relative proportion in the population all these things we can probably understand better from the vijayanagara that would be a positive example maratha period would be a example for a crisis period where things were in downfall but the state was trying to control the downfall british period would be a much different an entirely different uh, uh, scenario where the state is actually going against the society oppressing it so all the dynamics that are visible in the society in the british time would be uh, a counter example actually how varna would not be operating rather than how it would be operating or what would happen if the society is trying to resist an oppressive state rather than how a state which is part of society would be operating so each of these would be a different uh, class of examples that will give us a very different view of what that system would be but none of these actually gives us a good understanding of what varna actually is in itself so for that we will need to really go into the uh, dharma shastra and then from the remote past we will need to trace out how things have evolved 
and what remained unchanged <laughs> because as we understand dharma is at different levels right there is a sanatana dharma then there is a yuga dharma then you have the deshakala what uh, what is temporal what keeps changing with time and space i i i don't think most hindus would have that uh, understanding of the distinction between what is sanatan and what is sort of temporal or desha dharma Uh, yeah i think maybe a longer separate topic itself to correct, correct. at some point yes we'll have to put the chart and explain sure. as we go and probably dharma shastra itself we can devote a session for that but as if we separate this we'll understand uh, because varna is actually varnashrama is a sanatana aspect it's not there is no it is not exactly temporary it is not deshakala layer of that varnashrama is permanent and it comes from a macro view of the world so this is the institutional view or how society would look like from a dharmic perspective at the micro is the this is the micro at the bottom and at the top is the cosmic or the macro view here the rita operates and at the bottom the dharma operates dharma is the operating principle of uh, righteousness which operates which works in every being and rita is the cosmic order and this whole institutions that are built in the society are vehicles for reconciling the individual with the uh, universal the vyakti with the samishti and act as vehicles for the fulfillment of the individual or the collective being so the smallest uh, unit that is the family that binds the individual and uh, gives him a sense of belongingness with the surroundings and then we will have the different uh, uh, occupational units or the vrittis the kulas then we have the jatis which are slightly bigger uh, cultural social cultural units if you want to call them so these are all uh, non hierarchical this uh, the extreme right and then we have extreme left where we have the uh, lineages sampradayas or the traditions that uh, flow with time in the middle is the hierarchical uh, system which is the state or the rajya where you see a proper hierarchical arrangement of Uh, institutions you have the mantranga you have the amatya the executive is there then the ministerial is there then you have the administration military the different wings of the state where uh, there is a proper protocol of how power flows and above this the at the macro level we have uh, uh, the vishwarupa how the primal universal being is a conception of how the primal uh, being or the purusha virat purusha is and then how what is the nature of that being and how that nature of that being maps to the individual is seen at the bottom level so the reconciliation between these is how all the institutions come so from that perspective the varna is actually a macro and it is visible not just in human beings it's not a social dynamic is what i'm trying to say it is a collective operating principle 
but it's not exactly a social segregational principle. Varna will be seen. Uh, so the basis for Varna is the guna, right? The prakriti or the matter has three qualities, the sattvarajasthanas. Based on these three qualities, the four Varnas come. Pure sattva is uh, Brahma, sattvarajas is uh, Kshatra, Rajasthamas is Vaishya and Pure Tamas is Vishuddha. So these four Varnas come from three qualities. All three qualities are natural qualities. These come from the primal mother, the nature. Therefore, each is a manifest way of divine only. It's not as if one is divine, one is not divine. So, so these qualities would be there in every aspect of nature. In humans, in flowers, in fruits, in uh, trees, in plants, in uh, you know, in birds, in grahas, uh, in the devatas, every known uh, aspect of nature would be having the three qualities. Therefore, they would be having the one. How is that relationship? How does that form? So, the relationship of sattva or sattva rajas. Uh, you you said Sattva was Brahma and then Sattva Rajas is yeah Sattva Rajas is Kshatra. So okay. there are three gunas and you're saying gunas. Sattva is Brahman. That that's the it maps yes it maps to Brahman. Okay, I heard Brahma. Okay, Brahma. Ha, Brahma is Brahma Kshatra Kshatriya Kshatra. It's like Brahma not in the uh, as a devata oh. Brahma. So, Sattva Rajas leads to Kshatra. Could you repeat that? Kshatra, then the Rajas Tamas would be Vaishya. Tamas is uh, Shudra. Okay. So, a Tamasic being basically, but you have Tamasic Devatas also, you have uh, Grah Devatas also, you have the uh, Tamasic ones, the Satvic ones, everything. So, this is how the nature is. This is a view of understanding the nature and understanding the universe. That is why I put this at the macro level. And from that understanding, how would we create our social institutions in a way that every being has its uh, salvation or the Mukti Marga? Because Mukti is not a reserved thing for uh, one group or one type of people. Each being requires Mukti. Each being's natural uh, Consequence is mukti. Ultimate consequence of every being is mukti. But the paths would be separate, manifold, in fact, dependent on what is the nature of the being. So the various mukti margas come from that. So it is not that the Brahman has a higher chance of mukti, for example. No, no, not at all. If there is no guarantee that a Brahmin is more entitled to Mukti than an insect. That insect might have matured in the previous life so much that it would require only a very few moments as an insect to get Mukti. So, nobody can deterministically say this is where you currently are. So, so, Mukti Marka is, you know, Mukti is absolutely for everybody. So, in that context, just stay with me here for a minute. Basically, we are my worldview at least uh, how I've framed it has been that the Atman or uh, the 
Uh, your being. My, okay, the being. Okay, my being has traveled through, of course, multiple lifetimes, been through many experiences, and perhaps in this experience, I have chosen to be a Vaishya in who's pursuing a life of a uh, Vaishya and business and all of that. Perhaps in another lifetime, I would have been a Brahman or a outside the Varna system or anything else. Is I guess I'm trying to clarify, is this a climb up in the ladder of evolution which leads to mukti or mukti or is this a, I guess, a, a, a vertical slicing and every, every layer strata of society exists in parallel and all of them have, a, have an ability of mukti at the same time. So they are traveling through, me as, a, as an Atman, as a being is traveling through all these classifications of society through multiple hundreds of lifetimes perhaps continuing to evolve if you like so evolution yes. is not from shudra to brahman and then going forward is essentially what i'm saying. evolution doesn't have to be from shudra to brahman evolution okay. you, you can definitely get mukti as a shudra or not human also that's the point but that is about the current life in the current life, you might be born as anything. But if your previous life maturity is sufficient and you are near moksha, then your current life can also lead there. And a Shudra who would have completed his cycle in the previous life itself and is very near would also behave according. He would not conduct like a Shudra. He might be born in any kind of family. There might be a reminder that he might want to clear out. But his conduct also would be of that order of maturity. That level of divinity would be visible in his actions and words and what he is saying and thinking. So then the birth into a certain strata or classification of society in, in a certain parents might be to simply give that experience. Uh, that experience to be born in a certain to a certain parents or just yes. complete whatever is little is left. Yeah, in that case, yes. And is that the reason why anybody from any strata of society can become a Rishi? So Pankaj Saxena said very ni uh, nicely, I believe that uh, Brahma Rishis or just Rishihood is outside. You basically leave your Varna from wherever you come, you break the ties Correct. of it and move into Rishihood. Correct. So Rishi carries no... He's not a Shudra anymore or not a Brahman anymore? Yeah, in that sense, a lot of categories are outside uh, fourfold order. Right? The Rishi doesn't have a Varna. Sanyasi also does not. San yeah. Sanyasi also does not. And the Rishis uh, have come from all groups. There is Matanga who probably comes from ST kind of group. And then there is Vasishta who comes from a Brahmana group. So, yeah. Rishi can come from any group. Then you have Vishwamitra. So, Kshatriya, it doesn't depend on your Varna. It's basically that level of maturity and evolution and knowledge, of course. So, uh, so that as, starts uh, to make sense because, I mean, then the order of Mukti is actually via sannyas or becoming a Rishi, if you like, basically achieving some higher qualities of divinity. No, that again, let us say 
Rishi is not a Mukti Marga. Rishi is a category of people okay. who are more uh, contributing universal knowledge and uh, to the universal spiritual, uh, whatever you want to call it, the tapas that they are doing for local Kalyan. Okay. One seeking Mukti does not require to become any of this. You can get your, your Mukti is about your own fulfillment, your evolution, internal evolution and remediation of your uh, uh, prarabdha. Once that is done, you get liberated. So a lot of uh, unnamed people, countless unnamed people just fulfill their things and they just disappear into thin air. They would have achieved Mukti. They wouldn't become popular or it's not necessary somebody is get, getting Mukti, he would become a popular being. You may not even know people who are getting Mukti. Becoming a Rishi or a celebrated man is a different thing. It is basically people are born with certain purpose. Let us say the world requires its, that Shastra and then somebody is born into that and then he gives that Shastra, he goes. Uh, or Dharma Shastra, or you know, even Nati Shastra, whichever. And then you have huh. Avdhutas. I've been reading little bit about Avdhut, and I had an experience with somebody who's a very big lawyer there, who told me a story that uh, the man basically sitting one day he just appeared in rain. Uh, this is a very very big lawyer. Won't name him. And this person appears in shambles totally, almost like a mentally, uh, you would meet the person, you would say, poor guy, mentally ill. And this lawyer says, he's a very old man, and he says he's an Avdud Vata. The moment I saw him, I knew it was uh, an elevated soul who's, I don't know, maybe just fulfilling uh, a last life or something like that. He, you know, sat and he gave him something to eat and he lit up a fire out of nothing, sitting in rain. While it was raining, he lit up a fire and ate. And as he had no botheration with where he is, how he's living, concerns about recognition, nothing. He's lost in his own world. He doesn't care about where he's eating, where he's shitting. <laughs> None of that. Yes. Is that... Also, a person, Aravdut, uh, people on in their own Mukti Mark in some ways. Uh, very intriguing is, for me. So I, yeah, yeah. so these are two, that's what, these are two separate things. One is the Karana Janma, where people come with a purpose like the Rishis or the Avataras or at a next level Vibhuti is there, then you have Avadhutas. They come with certain purpose and they go. But is there, modern day, even the Gurus? Not only modern day, but any guru, yeah. Ramana Maharishi, purpose, come with a purpose. Yes. So that is a karmajan. Then you have another kind where you that evolution happens and people get their liberation. There is an overlap, of course, but not everybody who is getting liberated would be a celebrity or he would not even be known to the world. If, his thing, hmm. if his thing is just to fulfill his thing and go, then he will just do that. And then there are people who come down with a specific intent of Lopa Kalyana. They want to contribute something to the world. That is a Karana Janma. So those people, let us say, people who have given us the Kavyas or the Shastras or people who have established traditions. So again, these 
can come from any group. Uh, in fact, Vishnu has taken avatars in, <laughs> as an animal, as a Kshatriya, as a Brahmana. So, in one uh, Purana, they say, which kind of idiot would want to be born as an animal? Hmm. It is not, uh, that is the way of the things. There is no discrimination at the divine level. It is all kinds of purposes are equally important for the divine. So, he would be born as a pig also, as a boar also, or as a Brahman also. It doesn't matter. You can actually contrast this with how the Bauddha says. Bodhisattva is born only in Brahmakshatra families. He is not born as an animal or Shudra or anything. <laughs> Vishnu is born without any discrimination in, in any form. It is basically the universal understanding is there inherently in the Vedamata. That is why everybody inheriting Vedamata actually can think universal. Then uh, uh, so, coming back here, yeah, at the concept level, this is all good. The main contention people have is, what about the least common denominator? What, how is discrimination built into this system? And then they want to read back the present into the past. They try to interpret the Itihasa Purana in a way that, uh, that suits their theories. There was discrimination that is coming out in Ramayana, in Mahabharata, all these things. Which is where the real problem is. So, if we understand these epics properly, then we also understand how to understand the Dharma Shastra. Because epic is the living uh, demonstration of the Dharma Shastra. The same principle, how it is operating in life. So, if we understand this, we have understood the Dharma Shastra. So, was there uh, were there rishis from all groups in uh, Ramayana and Mahabharata? Yes. Were there rishis from all groups in 19th-20 centuries? Yes. So, did society discriminate between them? No. Did society revere both kinds? Yes. So, is the principle operative at all times? Absolutely, yes. It is not as if that principle has stopped operating at some point in time. And then, there uh, obviously, there are problems in every society at all points of time. We will need to understand what those problems are without trying to conflate them with how the operating principle works. Let us say there was, uh, you know, uh, feudalism was there, caste oppression, this uh, feudal oppression was there, then the, uh, what other problem? Untouchability, obviously, that is one aspect, but the problem was exploitation is the bigger problem. Ill-treatment of people, exploitation, these are the main problems. When this happens, how much is it actually happening because of that principle and how much is it happening simply because there was an inimical state or an inimical uh, system that is governing the society. And most people that I have seen so far not have not done any honest analysis of how much the state had an oppressive role in corrupting the society. They try to completely isolate the state and try, and try to understand only the social principle which will not take us anywhere. So, if you take an example, uh, British time, that was the first time when we had absolutely no Hindu principles operating in governance. Your uh, learning systems were uh, removed and replaced and you were uh, completely demilitarized. 
your trade was taken away by the british so you had to import only finished goods you had to export only raw goods all this was there so brahma kshatra vaise all the three were varnas were eliminated by the british for all practical purposes so you are left with being a shudra society with all the varnas actually doing only shudra work what would happen there would be oppression there would be infighting there would be conflict there would be so when the whole society is oppressed you don't expect that they are going to be sweet to each other right people are going to bicker about resources there would be conflict for resources contention for resources there would be power dynamics operating so yeah obviously there would be problems in society but do we actually understand that all these are created by an oppressive state or do we simply think that this society has started fighting among itself there there is an uh, you know naturally people started fighting without any external causation uh, so this is something very disappointingly for 70 years even after independence people have not sufficiently surveyed there are one or two random statements saying yeah under uh, uh, islamic rule the scst groups have increased all those things i mean kslal has written a book also such kind of things but there is no in depth analysis of how society got corrupted under an inimical state you need to separate the money and wealth dynamics you need to understand how the exploitation actually works how did feudalism come into existence how did actually uh, I, i think uh, i was mentioning the other day also under the marathas how especially under peshwas how the uh, landlords were incentivized to extract tax all those things from then things only got worse under british right where the zamindari raitwari acts have come so exploiting the peasants became a norm under british i think just a quick deviation here i know you've clarified this earlier but whoever is listening to this point i wanted to clarify that the marathas had probably you mentioned the marathas had no choice but to put yes. ch- chot and other types of taxation systems because they were fighting a brutal yeah. asymmetric war under a resource crunch yes yeah so today things have to correct is it really the social dynamic that needs to change or is it the state that needs to change have we fixed the state that was actually acting wrong or we have not Hmm. so uh, and we also know how the this whole uh, bonded labor thing came how uh, people were defrauded in the name of loans so where literacy had become extremely important at that point and how british had actually uh, weaponized the literacy hmm. uh, that is why the difference between literacy and education even people like lala lajpat right that point had to highlight because we did not have so much emphasis on uh, written documents previously it's not just word of mouth but we understood there was a way in which society worked uh social and contracts were there understanding was there there was a uh norm of how the lands are distributed there was a norm of how uh, lands are owned and uh, transferred 
legacy was understood not just legacy and uh, transactions were properly understood there was wealth management then um, adhyastra was operating so we had a very well functioning system it's not as if the written documents were the only way we understood all this and uh, not just that the with the literacy or the english education what came was the peasant or the uh, lower class was really oppressed at that time till then they were living their life and the literacy became so important people only people who did that schooling or whatever they started getting jobs and employment was the only thing because higher posts were anyway barred indians were not the rulers indians were not the traders indians were not also the protectors of the society and indians were not also seers so given that the entire society was brought down to certain uh, occupations instead of the full spectrum of occupations which a normal society independent society would be having so the best mind started doing the clerical jobs and what would the clerical jobs people capable of clerical jobs would be doing they would be going out of job and they can't also compete with the clerks anymore forget british look at the 70s 80s the best guys started getting bank clerk jobs brightest ones who could do 60 problems a minute they were barely getting bank clerk jobs with that level of uh, resource crunch and competition created for uh, livelihood you would obviously uh, see problems in society impoverishment is there social conflict obviously would be there and everybody would try to act uh, leverage his strength to outplay the others that's correct and blame of the brahmins occupying all positions of power yeah. and all of that that exactly so li- the, that's the reason i brought up the literacy uh, because british did the literacy census in 31 1931 and they introduced the english education in 1820 so a century of what they have done as a result of it only the best minds could occupy all the clerical posts and when they did a caste census brahmins ended up being most of the clerical posts in uh, across the country that is the source of this whole thing no i mean they now they categorized others as cst who were not uh, getting any share into the jobs and all those problems uh, british had articulated at that point which is what our leaders had picked up and <laughs> started screwing our society so so they feudalized the society they weaponized the literacy and then the results of that they put on the society and the solution is to now create an asymmetric uh, system where you bring everybody to be able to compete into that mode of literacy and this ladder that the british has defined rather than understanding that our society has its own dynamic we have our own uh, strata we have our own spectrum of social functions and we need to enable people to perform their what suits their interest and nature now everybody feels uh, look at our generation why a lot of people want to become engineers because it is fetching not because it suited their nature 
so similarly a lot of people previous generation wanted to get into government jobs so this is all a artificial incentive system created by the state and this is not a blame on society as such whereas we are trying to understand this as a social problem not as a state created problem so this aspect needs to be sufficiently studied which has unfortunately not even started so two main takeaways uh, from our conversation so far one that varna is is natural and universal and that all all creation all living things in creation everything has has a varna and they're simply coming from the uh, the three gunas yes and then the second thing you're saying is uh, that instead of blaming the organization of the hindu society according to this natural order for fulfilling the human purpose of mukti and which exists for everybody at all levels and all living beings it doesn't matter not only human the role of the state in actually destroying these functions or messing up with them which leads to conflict and so yeah so those are the two main thrusts of the conversation so far very good very interesting thank you third would be the heredity aspect that you brought uh, or the endogamy or the heredity which is the main issue people have because a lot of people say yeah every society has classification but your classification is rigid because one who is born into something is stuck to it how far is it true no first of all we I a mean, lot of people confuse this because but isn't that also doesn't that get answered shankar because i want a certain experience and i i my my being is of a certain evolution i want a certain experience i am on the path of mukti and i am simply choosing based on which experience is helping me in that journey forward so i mean that's actually seamlessly explained by this and there will be no conflict there will be no sense of envy <laughs> but how do you, how do you explain the suffering aspect you can't just dismiss saying that you would have chosen suffering so you, now you are <laughs> gone for life that fellow while suffering would want to get better surely get better is so, fine but so how question. how is the institution helping him is the question okay right it's not about uh, whether we can rationalize it or not okay and that is where the timarga all these things come and uh, that is where we also need to understand that one's potential and character are regarded in society regardless of which group he belongs to as we take the examples of uh, rishis of 1920 centuries people all with character are always regarded and respected and uh, the other aspect is it has nothing to do with varna now varna is a macro thing you can be born into certain group and you will have the limitations of that group if you are born as a let us say 
uh, a Brahmin. You will have the limitations of the group. You will not be uh, a brute force. You will lack the brute force. You will be vulnerable against brute force. You will definitely have your uh, weaknesses and you will have your strengths. Same applies to any group. And there are able elements in every group which are going to reap the best of the benefits of that group. But this again has nothing to do with Varna. I mean, did anybody ask, if you see the Mahabharata or Itihasa Puranas or even in the recent past, does anybody debate the Varna of Vidura or Karna anywhere? There is uh, absolutely debate the I mean, of course. Is there any discussion of Vidura's Varna or Karna's Varna anywhere in Mahabharata? No, there is no. But but there is discrimination, yes. Um, we'll get there. Okay. But but this has nothing to do with Varna, is what we'll need to understand. Yeah, but Karna is called a Sut. So Sut Putra. Suta ka varna hai? I mean, there is no Varna like Suta. There are only four. It just seems it's like a Jati which so, seems to be of yes. a Exactly. So, same with the 1920th century also. <coughs> there is no Varna operating anywhere. Yeah, but that's it not true, right, Shankar? Because, I mean, Jatis would have an association with the Varna you belong to. I mean, oh, like, where? Like, that's what I'm asking. Like I mean, the Punjabi Khatris or the Rajputs are, uh-huh. are belong to the Khatriyas. Huh, so, I mean, you can call it anything, but so what is my question? Yeah, so Sut would probably so be how Shudras. How does it matter? So Sut would be Shudras. I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, right? What What is the relevance is my question. I mean, we are, there is no uh, relevance of any Varna there is my point. No, Vizara no, continued to be a minister Yes. With, with no debate on his Varna, with no discussion on his Varna. Karna continued to be a king with no discussion around his Varna. No, the Arjun refused to fight him because he is not a king. So, Duryodhan had no, to... No, not because he was uh, that uh, royal prince. We will get there. Okay. What I am saying is, we will need to... So, and in uh, uh, 20th century also, 19th century also, there was a problem. But we are misstating the problem. Mahars had a, uh, suffered a status depletion uh, in 19th century. There is no question about it. It is not a Varna dynamic. Now, do you debate the Varna of Ambedkar even today? You don't debate his Varna. He he doesn't fall anywhere. Whether he falls somewhere or not is also irrelevant. For what he is doing and what he is born into. Where he is, uh, what he is trying to do. Is his surroundings accepting him is the main question. That is how to understand this dynamic. So when Karna tried to be what he was not, he entered the arena of princess. And the princess were the ones uh, in the Rangabhumi, they were competing with each other. It was not even a fight, right? It was not a battle or anything. It was a competition. There is a specific target audience there. And Karna entered it uninvited. You think he will be respected or you think he will be insulted? It's a natural human dynamic. Hmm. There is a money power 
operative principle right somebody will be respected for his character somebody will be respected for his knowledge somebody will be respected for his valor and somebody trying to enter situations where he is not the best fit will face problems in various forms he will either underperform or he will be insulted or he will be defeated a lot of things would happen and that have those situations insulting situations have been faced by many people drona was insulted by drupada so that will happen to any human normally in life now the problem is you put a stamp of varna and say no this happens because of varna correct yes the number of times drona was insulted in the mahabharata because he was <laughs> trying to meddle with the kshatriya functions what well, he was definitely out of place it was so it was not because he was uh, a higher varna he was spared no he was not spared at all so we'll need to understand these are simple human dynamics we'll need to understand which will be in play at all times in all societies are we putting some stamp on it in terms of branding the groups did they have those branding of groups they didn't suta is a group in itself and suta was a very powerful group in mahabharata mm-hmm. sudheshna sudheshna kichaka karna there are many sutas in mahabharata they they enjoyed very powerful positions royal positions so that never comes out not on the tv show mahabharata you know that is It's why i'm saying <laughs> oh okay it comes out Besides, as if some lower or lower in class ah, other people so there is an outcast or some nonsense aisa kuch hai nahi living okay no so royal charioteer is a and were used as diplomats now you see where the diplomats are in social ladder today they are powerful than all of us yes so they had that money and power but they did not enjoy a very great reputation in terms of their character neither kichaka nor karna but they were always regarded and uh, feared for their power got it so money power dynamic wherever it comes obviously a kshatriya would have a problem with a suta and he will try to put down a suta where he can so that that is a simple power dynamic now did karna have any problem uh, did karna uh, he was in fact not a born king anywhere right? or he was not brought up as a king he was brought up as a charioteer's son but he was given all the uh, education in terms of what a prince can get he learned the uh, dhanurveda all those things he competed with the princes yeah so not just parashurama drona also okay i don't remember that so it was only parashurama parashurama was much an ad, uh, a much advanced thing once drona refuses him the brahmastra because karna has no eligibility for brahmastra firstly he is uh, mired by jealousy and all those things so drona does not give brahmastra to duryodhana he also does not give to karna i did not know the current being part of uh, dronas uh, very much he will start 
and was then it, was uh, it there in the mahabharat no yeah very much it's there, it's there. along with arjun duryodhan karan was also studying that was never showed if i remember correctly it's, it's not shown book. no no it's not shown that directly but he did uh, learn from drona the contention comes at the brahmastra then he he can't stand the refusal of brahmastra because he needs to somehow defeat arjuna then he goes to parashurama so from there the character is visible right i mean you can lie to get what you want all those things so the lower character of karna is very clearly visible in mahabharata he can compromise on honesty or anything mm. right so that's not how the rama or arjuna or yudhishthira or harishchandra none of this is actually talked about it's just the incident of that insect biting him while ha huh, but <laughs> that is clearly demonstrating your dishonesty also and for what have you lied to save somebody's life no to to achieve no, but, your own career but just help me sorry I, i want to go back to the story of how he went to parshuram mm-hmm. so he would have gone to parshuram to get brahmastra as yeah. a suta or no of course as a suta because he did not disclose that he was a kshatriya which is what angers parshurama no he tells that he is a brahmana he says he is a brahmana yeah that's the whole point he lies no, no i did not know i thought he says that he is a suta or something no or no, no. no non kshatriya okay so that is when that insect bite comes where parshurama says that a brahmin can't stand it this long he is his body doesn't allow him to tolerate this right so again that's the vulnerability of a brahmin so we need to understand the weakness as well as the strength and the guru clearly understands so again it is the character dynamic it is not a varna dynamic in play an honest fellow would be received by guru much better it is the dishonesty that puts off the guru then the curse comes and where where the curse also applies right i mean he is very clear the bhargava and other astras that parashurama has given karna could apply in dwar only the brahmastra he could not and it is also given that after he has learned it brahmastra applied on karna did not also work he did, does get protection from the same brahmastra the only thing he is refused is his application of it on others so when arjuna applies brahmastra karna doesn't get killed he survives in the on the 17th day so the extent to which guru can be merciful he will be so the punishment also they are very calibrated the rishis but where his character dynamic comes into picture that needs to be understood hmm again when he cooperates with duryodhana and all that for all, what is the motivation it is basically his enmity with arjuna he is trying to it's not as if he is trying to do good to somebody and then out of a noble intention he has lied to some it's not that whereas you have the contrasting examples even under extreme circumstances arishchandra would not lie and all those things and yudhishthira would lie only under an extreme circumstance that too when krishna exhorts him to so those lines what is the different uh, stature of different people what is the different uh, levels of character people have according to that they got results now karna has sided openly with adharma because it is his innate nature 
It's not as if he is born very dharmic and then somehow he turns a dharmic. His nature was itself like that. Therefore, his boons also don't help him. Whereas Arjuna, being a dharmic man, his curses also become boons for him. Like when uh, uh, Urvashi curses him to become a unit, then that will be useful for him as a boon in his Agnathavas. That is the lesson that the Dharma Shastra is teaching us. If you are dharmic, your curse becomes a boon. If you are adharmic, your boon becomes a curse. Yeah, unfortunately, this narrative is not discussed. This exactly. These conversations don't happen. That reminds me of Thomas Sowell. I keep coming back to this group of Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell in our conversations. <laughs> Sorry. I, he says that one of the painful signs of years of dumbed-down education is how many people are unable to make a coherent argument. <laughs> they can't vent their emotions. They can they can vent their emotions, question other people's motives, make bold assertions, repeat slogans, anything except reason. Doesn't that tie so beautifully into what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. It's all there. We just don't apply our common sense to understand what the ethic is saying. Yeah, but it's also dumbed down education. You see, yes. I may have common sense only when I'm able to hear this and then I'm You're able allowed to, to integrate. <laughs> yes. If I don't even know, you know, this type of a narrative, I'll never have the ability to apply it also. Even if I, even if I have the ability, I, I can't apply it because I it's don't not, know. Yeah, because it's not just IQ. It is about perspective and that yes. perspective is denied. Yes, is de- yes that's correct. Absolutely. So beautiful. Learned a lot today. <laughs> so, uh, the last thing about Karana is uh, not the last, the penultimate is uh, birth factor. There's so much of thing around birth and uh, people being denied certain things. But everybody knew that Karana was not a son of charity by birth. Everybody there knew that he would have had a different origin. Most likely a Kshatra origin. That is why nobody made a noise when he was given a kingship. All that he earned was because of his birth, not because of his upbringing. He was a born Kshatriya and he was treated a Kshatriya by that worship. He was given Dhanurveda by benefit of doubt. And then he was given a kingship. So what exactly was he denied because he was a Sutta? Is there anything he was denied? So Drona probably taught him Dhanurveda and all the, along with the princess, under an assumption that he has Kshatriya. No, so Adhiratha, Karana's uh, foster father, approaches the teachers saying, this is my son, I have raised him. But looking at his radiance, I don't get a feeling he somehow belongs to my group. He should have been some higher group. I don't want to deny him the chance because he is risen by me. So, I let him choose what he what path he wants. And Drona accepts him. Accepts him. So, here is he actually denied the thing. In fact, all that he does not have as a Kshatriya, he doesn't have the, let us say, uh, Kshatriya would not accept anything for free. Accept anything? For free. From mm-hmm. anybody. That is a re- rule for a Kshatriya. So when Rama goes to Vanavasa, he is offered the tapobhumis, all those things by the rishis. He says, no, I will uh, earn all of them by myself. I can't take anything. Karna has accepted the kingship itself. 
without his own might wo to muft mein mila hai na duryodhan just gave it and this fellow took it which genuine kshatriya would take it so there are defects in him as a kshatriya which are due to his upbringing kshatriya would never show his back in a war karna has shown his back so many times countless times hmm. bhima would be ready to die in front of the narayan astra until he was pulled back down right it was so no kshatriya actually backs down or shows his back so would be ready to die but kshatriya uh, karna does show his back so many times he i mean just look at the mahabharata war so many times he would have run away in the virata also gograhana also he runs away so there are some defects in his kshatra which are due to his upbringing so only when there is the birth factor the upbringing the environment his opportunity in life all these align then you make a perfect being there will be defects if any of them is lacking and karna's character is definitely lacking in many ways not just one way whereas opportunity wise he got everything he deserved more than what he deserved so society denying him an opportunity is there is no indication from the epic at all the epic says you got all the opportunities but because your character is this you could not make the best of it and out of this what the other things that comes out is and this is the last point i was going to make your uh, upbringing and whatever uh, uh, the dignity of profession rama and arjuna had learned charioteering their they learned how to drive a chariot they mastered it and this is shown in the epic arjuna does it uh, even gograhana time also and uh, even before that so he has a certain expertise in charioteering not just krishna and why is that required for an archer archer can understand certain maneuvers in the field only when you have expertise in charioteering and quite to the contrary even though brought up by a charioteer karna doesn't have that skill or he doesn't have mastery in that skill he doesn't have that higher order learning of charioteering so although there are very few instances where he did it by himself uh that is because he didn't respect the profession of his foster father if he did he always saw it as a lower skill he wanted somebody else for his charity and all those things right and the the result that uh, you can see as a consequence of that you can see in the final war where uh, you remember that story where uh, this fellow aims karna aims at arjuna shalya says uh, your aim is going off you need to no lower it then karna leaves the arrow as it is it hits the crown of arjuna instead of his uh, neck why did this happen because he doesn't have the first hand direct understanding of charioteering and he didn't respect the word of his charioteer his driver right so these are very simple straight things we just don't apply our common sense to it correction we are not we are not given this type of perspective ha this learning is 
and uh, so what happens uh, now that the fact that karna didn't understand dignity of profession whereas rama and arjuna did they valued the profession for what its worth is i mean krishna did krishna did obviously rama did arjuna did rama. everybody did rama of course yeah and this guy look because karna looks at things in terms of status not in terms of the original worth of things whereas rama arjuna the character people like rama or krishna have seen things for what their worth is not their status mm. status comes with your sense of self esteem not with sense of excellence or self actualization so karna always belonged at the self esteem layer he never transcended that layer into the actualization or self transcendence that these people belong to arjuna or right so that that's what needs to be learned beautiful <laughs> now we can come to ekalavya thing okay let's go on <clears throat> uh, you had a question actually you didn't ask i blocked you from asking the question no so same eklavya i mean you know the narrative there that he belongs to a lower right. caste and that is why his thumb was asked to be given away so it's the same yeah there again it is it a group thing yes partially but is it a question of qualification yes ultimately the teacher is the decider of what your qualification is whether you qualify for certain education so that the that drona taught only the princess he would not teach others was clear or he can make exceptions but he can also decide who deserves to be given exception the question is why did he have to be penalized why did his thumb have to be taken out or also why did why would drone not ready to if he was ready to tutor karn uh, on a on a doubt or give him the benefit of doubt why would he not tutor somebody as skilled who does not come from who's not born into a princess family correct so skill is not the point there so karna although he did not belong to the same league as arjuna and yudhishthira in terms of character he also had certain level of restraint he also gave danas he also had certain level of uh, character he gave a word he stood by it that level can't be expected from a nishada right you need to profile character well along uh, the lines of what the person is capable of doing so are you going to put nuclear weapons in uh, the hands of uh, pakistan no so it's not can it retain and exercise the restraint to ensure it can apply only on the right targets so ekalavya as a uh, learner of dhanurveda does he have the character to restrain i want to pause you interrupt you there once again i don't know who was talking to me was it you who talked about restraint as as a principle of a good kshatriya was it was it our conversation i hmm. don't recall not ours not, not ours so very beautiful huh so i'll bring up osho at this point and i don't know if this is true or no but it just fits the narrative or fits the hmm. the world view of ram osho says that krishna in the bhagavad gita calls 
राम दी धनुर्धारियों में मैं राम हूं ओशो आस्क ड्यूरिंग वन ऑफ हिज डिस्कोर्स ही इज आस्किंग हिज डिसाइपल्स यू नो व्हाई डू यू थिंक ही सेड दैट एंड ओशो सेज दैट इट इज नॉट बिकॉज़ कृष्णा इज एनी लेस एज अ धनुर्धारी और एज अ एज अ वील्डर ऑफ वेपन्स देन राम but it is basically the, the the restraint that ram is able to demonstrate uh, as an example right so as a character he is absolutely an ahimsavadi in 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 some ways or yeah it's it's hard to explain right but nothing he applies until it is absolutely necessary necessary the amount of restraint he shows is and then the fierceness of the use of weapons both of those characters existing in one person is what makes him so exceptional idealist yes. to say that dhanurdhariyon mein main ram hu ideal dhanurdhari how does it fare in case of ekalavya do we have any example yes because you have the dog example point yeah the dog example ekalavya very clearly shows he doesn't have restraint right i mean there he shows his skill but he also shows he doesn't have the restraint he can easily harm uh, creatures so you can say that nishadas don't have the restraint he understood drona understood all that but you, they, there is a data point very clearly visible there he had applied those uh, arrows on a dog which was just barking it was not even biting him or anything it was just distracting him and then he is ready to punish a dog would a kshatriya be willing to do that or is it expected and if this fellow cannot exercise that level of restraint does it qualify for higher order skill you need to understand that nishadas are already skilled in archery they do a lot of hunting so archery is something they already know just help me with what what is the uh, classification of nishadas they are you can say tribes, tribes yeah tribes, tribes roughly yeah so they would be doing lot of hunting and they hit the moving objects also so they have that level of skill of archery it's not the dhanurveda is a more rigorous military level of training which can be given only to a qualified man does anishada qualify for it is the main question did drona deny just because he belonged to a group or is there data for us to tell that this man did not show that level of character at that instance by the time drona had done this analysis so he hid and learned everything without coming yeah. up front and Correct. maybe so being still, courageous about it and bold and say that i want to learn with you no he did is that approach so ekalavya approaches okay and he was denied saying you can't learn from me and then there is a stalk he says uh, he just puts throna's idol and then he practices in front of uh, that idol saying that i got that uh, and then he acknowledges that i learned everything from drona so it is plainly a stalk of uh, skill which does deserve a penalty anywhere now is it a stealth in terms of does he apply any shabara mantras to extract that uh, thing out of the image he installed all these things are not necessary i mean they can be technical details but basically he himself acknowledged just that he has learned that putting the idol and uh, 
which uh, he was clearly announced that he was not qualified for so that is a clear spell of and breach of uh, his line privilege which does attract penalty why should he not be given we discuss the reason and once he does does he deserve a penalty yes and eventually krishna kills him later in the war so he always belonged to the other side right and that was no reason why again the vidya is not given for instance drishtadimna or karna all these princes although they belonged to the wrong side drona did not mind teaching them so it doesn't matter drona had his uh, ethics very clearly laid out he is irreproachable in that matter today's prism also let us say somebody has learned some shooting okay i mean there are there are shooting uh, uh, lens anywhere you can go learn can you obtain military order skills absolutely not and if you do by crossing your line you will be dealt with by the state so that that applies anywhere i don't understand where the caste angle comes from of course it comes uh, you know you can build up any kind of narrative saying this is oppression is because of caste this is because of gender all that nonsense anywhere and you can pull up arguments from anywhere but it just doesn't fit there they can vent their emotions question other people's motives make bold <laughs> assertions repeat slogans anything but except anything except reason except reason because nishadas were there guha was there rama and guha friendship is known to everybody so we need to understand how the society at that time functioned rather than and what was the operating principle was there really a ill treatment or anything so going by dharma shastra the principle that got applied uh we can understand how the principle was actually applied was it fair or unfair we can't say un- unless you understand the principle we can't say i have my common sense uh, notion of morality and equality because that principle is totally inapplicable there excellent we'll probably end this session here and go on to other uh, yeah. following sessions and we'll sure. also touch upon maybe savarkar and uh, yeah uh, you know the other common view uh, yeah we'll get narrative to the narrative is called caste denialism for example mm-hmm. and i think that More narrative problematic is... and inconvenient questions we can pick up yes sure. wonderful thank you very much sankar okay. as always and thank you for listening audience and please leave your questions uh, when you when you watch this video so that shankar and i can pick up that, those conversations uh, for for all of us to learn together thank you namaste shankar